Welcome to Musician. I'm your host, Andrew LaPau. Let's start the show. Welcome to another episode of Musician. Today we have my friend Tim Denbo, a highly sought-after bass player in Nashville. Um, he's played with Natalie Stovall, Sarah Evans. Um, he does a lot of session work in town. So we had a great talk about his growing up in Indianapolis, studying classical bass and classical music, and then getting a degree in jazz bass performance from the Berklee College of Music uh, before really taking off in Nashville. Uh, it was a great conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tim Denbo. Enjoy. Do you still go on the road? I started turning down road work last year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the session stuff has gotten busy enough. That's awesome. Yeah. Because so. I feel like everybody who plays with you is like, why isn't this guy in the studio every day just <laughs> cutting albums? And Yeah. But it's getting I mean, there. It's getting there, yeah. yeah. I'm still, still not as busy as I'd like to be, but busy enough that... The last year when I did go on the road, I went out for seven days in July mm -hmm. with Natalie Stovall, who I, I was in her band back in 2009, so mm -hmm. it was just, you know, they're great, great friends. I was like, oh, yeah, that'll be great. And I missed, I was out for seven days, and I missed five days worth of sessions. I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, you know, I love being out with them again. Right. But I was like, well, no. And I had like one or two other things already on the books for the rest of last year and mm -hmm. I missed sessions both times I went out of town that time too. So oh, I was man. like So this year I've really Matt Grayband goes to San Diego every five or six weeks mm -hmm. to play. There's two clubs out there and have mm -hmm. you ever heard it, or have you ever been to uh, Moonshine Flats and Moonshine Beach in San Diego? I've only been to San Diego once and it was Okay. I only saw the inside of a studio out there. Oh but, it's awesome. Yeah. But um so they do that every five or six weeks and I went in January with them and that's you know anything else that's kind of come up this year so far i've been able to turn down because i already had sessions booked generally so so yeah. now that you're doing a lot of session work um do you just is are your sessions kind of the week of you get a call like can you just book out tuesday wednesday thursday or do you get it more ahead of time it just depends um most of what i'm doing these days since they're not i'm not doing lots of full records so mm -hmm. it's usually I'll sometimes have two days in a row, like two, you know, a 10 and a two on, you know, back to back days. Mm -hmm. And usually if it's that much, like four sessions worth, that'll, that'll get booked out maybe mm -hmm. three or four weeks in advance. Okay. Um, a lot of, a lot of demo stuff mm -hmm. I'll get contacted, you know, maybe, maybe seven to 10 days out, you know. Okay. I just booked a couple things yesterday, like two things firmed up yesterday that one is for Thursday. Like mm -hmm. two days from now uh -huh. <laughs> and one is for next week so okay. i mean stuff that was three days away and seven or eight days away so it just it just depends you know so are you uh working i see grady's always posting pictures of you mm -hmm. playing is it a lot of the work out there yeah uh, i'm at i'm at grady's place a good bit i'm at uh farmland studios in berry hill which is david dorn mm -hmm. david dorn's place um i'm pretty much on just about anything that David's involved with, either you're producing or mm -hmm. just engineering, leading at his place. Mm -hmm. And then Grady, Grady has maybe three or three of us or so. He kind of rotates, okay, in and out. But yeah, I'm at I'm at Grady's a good bit too. And what's the music that you're you're cutting out there? Like not just Grady Saxman's place, but like, are you doing? Um, 
commercial work? Are you doing mostly country demos, country albums, all over the map? It's kind of all over the map. Yeah. Uh, there was a single release today by an artist named Saint uh, that that I'm on that's kind of a Latin pop thing. Oh, nice. And that was out at Grady's. Um, mm-hmm. But I've I've gotten I've gotten involved in a bunch of Texas country stuff. Oh, okay. So there's a bunch of Texas Texas artists that keep coming to Nashville to, to cut their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, usually all through one. There's one guy who used to be. Uh, uh, I was in a band called Calico Trail mm-hmm. for a few years, and our former manager is a guy named Alex Torres, and he is now basically a one man label. Mm-hmm. Know, he's he's signing artists and he's promoting artists and he's plugging songs and he's you know, kind of co-producing some of these artists. Anyway, he's got a bunch of these connections in Texas, so he brings a bunch of Texas artists in. So there's a bunch of bunch of Texas country happening out in Texas that obviously we will never hear here, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all doing well down there that I'm on yeah. as well. So there's a bunch of Texas country, um, you know, yeah, your mm-hmm. pop country demos, a lot of that stuff. Um, and are you bringing your own, because I know you have your own home studio, right? Mm-hmm. Do you bring a whole studio rig with you to the other recording studios? Or you just show up with a bass and a pedal board, or yeah, no, I've got my what I my rig that I use at home is portable. I've got it just all in a rack bag, mm-hmm. and so I take that everywhere I go. And what what's in that rack? Um, it is a um, radial makes a uh, a rack mount version of their. Uh, I think it's called the Workhorse. Okay. Uh, lunchbox. They made like a three and a five space, uh, 500 series lunchbox. Uh-huh. And then they made a, a single rack mount unit that's three slots, you know, so they're arranged horizontally instead of vertically side by side, you know? Okay. Um, so I've got that, that radial Workhorse with a Burl B1D preamp mm-hmm. uh, feeding into the inward connections of the Brute compressor. It's like mm-hmm. a basically like an LA 2A mm-hmm. kind of circuit. Um, and that's it. I mean, I, you know, pedal board into a JDI. I put a JDI in front of the pre because mm-hmm. I just like the little bit of warmth and fatness that the JDI gives without going all the way to like the, the big fat tube DIs. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys, you know, because a lot of guys will play these big fat tube DIs and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want something that was kind of that big and squishy in front of another pre. Right. You know, so I'm just doing JDI into that burl, into the inward connections. So you're running. Things. So you're running. So what's coming out of that uh, rack mount system is going into another into the studio's preamp. A lot of the guys are just, been they just bypassing you. Di. Yeah, yeah, they're bypassing their pre's just because I've already got right. You know, they might they might compress me a little bit more because I'm not squishing it a ton mm-hmm. on my on the front end. Uh, I've actually got a. I'm using the MXR bass compressor pedal in front of all that. So I'm actually compressing before the pre. Uh-huh. So the pedal's like a like an 1176 yeah. circuit. Then hitting my DI pre and then the LA-2A circuit and then going to them. So I'm kind of compressing on the both sides of the uh-huh. pre, but yeah. but very minimally. You make it both. easy for the engineer. Yeah. I mean, I've... Yeah. So your level is like really consistent. Yeah. You're not like... Yeah. Yeah. There's no waveforms all over the place and transients like yeah, super loud. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty consistent. The only adjustments I make are from bass to bass depending on the individual instrument's output. Mm-hmm. I'm just adjusting the gain on my on the pre. Mm-hmm. So I'm never you know, I've kind of gotten that dialed in so I know 
you know, two clicks up for this base and two clicks back down for this base okay. or whatever. You know. Do you do you roll in with two bases? Depends on the depends on the session. session if it's yeah. a, if it's a double or we're there for two days, I might bring five or six. <laughs> nice. You know, yeah. uh, just because they're all you know they're all different. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have a Gretsch base, right? Yeah, uh, I take the Gretsch every once in a while, but I what I was going for with the Gretsch was a short scale hollow body vibe, mm-hmm. and the Gretsch is more of a medium scale, so it didn't quite get me where I wanted to be. Okay. So I ended up with a uh, I bought a Lakeland hollow body thirty is what they call it, and it's a 30-inch scale, which is the same as like a Fender Mustang, short-scale, okay. semi-hollow body bass. Nice. Um, that's exactly what I was looking for. It's a little thumpier. It's got flat wounds on it, and it's big and fat. And cool. Yeah, so I'll, I'll bring that hollow body sometimes, uh, then a J bass, a P bass, five-string. Those are kind of the four yeah. that I'll take. Uh, can we talk about uh, just how you came up playing bass and what your... Uh... Your yeah. roots of, of music are yeah because you're from Indianapolis. I am yeah, uh, man. I my see how far back do we want to go. My dad's mother, so my grandmother, um, was a church organist and pianist, and her youngest son, my dad's younger brother, my uncle, uh, also became a church organist, pianist, choir director at their church for a long time. And so there was. Music was always big in like our holiday gatherings, and I think I was just always fascinated by the piano that was at my grandpa, my grandparents' house. Um, and so I can remember begging my parents to buy a piano when I was six, seven years old, and they finally bought one right near my eighth birthday. There was a Baldwin piano store in the mall near us in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. which I don't even, that probably doesn't exist anywhere in the I've world anymore. Yeah. yeah. It was literally a Baldwin store in the mall, you know, just like any other store in the mall. <laughs> and I would, you know, six, seven years old, dragging my parents in there every time we were in the mall. They finally bought a piano. I started taking piano lessons, I think on my eighth birthday, just scheduling wise, that's how it worked out. But, uh, and I took piano lessons for three or four years um, from that point on. And then, but in the middle of all that, when I was 10 years old, the elementary school I was going to, actually the whole school system, they started the string program in fifth grade Mm -hmm. and then band and all that stuff started in sixth grade. I think they kind of wanted to maybe try to give the orchestras a head start in fifth Mm -hmm. grade because fewer kids were probably interested in that anyway than the band instruments if they were interested in instruments at all. So... I had always been fascinated by the big string bass, the upright mm-hmm. bass. Uh, the guy who was the choir director at the church I grew up in in Indianapolis was a bass player. Still is a bass player. Um, and he played upright bass, had played upright bass in the military and done all kinds of stuff before mm-hmm. I ever knew him. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when I was a kid, he would – every I don't know, once a quarter or something on Sunday nights, instead of like a regular church service, it would be like this big kind of congregational sing-along. I mean, literally like kind of church camp songs and campfire songs. And he would stand at the front of the church with just his upright bass and take requests. Like people would just call (laughs) out hymns and songs and he would play a little intro on upright bass Mm -hmm. and the whole church would sing in three, four part harmony with him just playing upright bass. Mm-hmm. And I would sit on the front row of the church and just yeah. enthralled by yeah. it, you know. 
So, at the end of fourth grade, going into fifth grade, uh, you know, they bring some middle school kids over to the fourth grade class and demonstrate the instruments and try to get kids to sign up. And they would give you, anybody who signed up got free lessons from the string teachers in mm-hmm. the district throughout the summer between fourth and fifth grade. And then fifth grade, you just kind of mm-hmm. hit the ground running or mm-hmm. stumbling, as it were, with string instruments. You know? Right, right. Um, but most fourth graders being little kids, they only demonstrated violin, viola, cello. So I signed up to play cello because that was the biggest thing they had. I didn't really know the difference at the uh-huh. time. I was just like, well, that's the biggest one they have, so <laughs> I'll play cello. Yeah. Good call, though. Yeah. Because yeah. now I'm, I'm still playing cello now. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so I had my free lessons throughout the summer on cello. Started fifth grade, and maybe maybe a month, month, two months into fifth grade, my string teacher came to me, who herself was a bass player, and said, hey, have you ever thought about playing bass? And I was like, is that the that's the, that's the one that's even bigger, right? Yeah. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's the one I want. Bring me that one. So uh, the middle school I ended up going to was literally next door to my elementary school, and they had a little half-size bass. I was big for my age, but still not you mm-hmm. know, big enough to be playing the size instrument I play now. And so she walked over this little half-size bass one day, and I literally remember at the beginning of class, and it's chaos, right? You've got... 20 fifth graders or whatever all trying to tune these instruments and mm-hmm. you know try not to sound like we're strangling cats you know and so i remember she literally handed me the bass and said okay uh here's the bow you hold it the same as the cello the strings are eadg we'll talk about it later mm-hmm. and i was like okay mm-hmm. and just figured it we never talked about it ever again like <laughs> i just kind of started <laughs> figuring it out yeah yeah you know um and then you know uh, so i was i was just all in from that point on. So that was fifth grade. I was maybe right about to turn 11 years old, mm-hmm. 10 years old, maybe still. Were you listening to a lot of classical music too? Yeah, I was, I was interested in the orchestral stuff at the time, but I mean, like any kid, then especially getting into middle school, you know, mm-hmm. I was listening to whatever was on the radio at the right. time too. So that's what got me interested in electric bass. Even though I didn't own one yet, mm-hmm. I was listening to the radio and playing along to the radio on my upright bass. Oh, wow. Okay. I was figuring out pop And tunes. you really could hear the bass frequency mm-hmm. on the radio? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, through my dad's, like, nice stereo. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so I would, you know, I'd buy sheet music sometimes for pop tunes, you know, and that was still a thing. And, uh, you know, learn bass parts off the radio. And I, was, I would still sit down at a piano sometimes and maybe mm-hmm. figure out the, the chord structures of the songs on piano. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 12, 13 years old or whatever. And finally, after probably another year of begging for an electric bass. I got my first electric bass and amp mm-hmm. from out of the JC Penny catalog for Christmas <laughs> when I was in eighth grade. What kind and of I, bass is that? I still own those two instruments. It was a harmony, uh-huh. which, you know, harmony, you know, if you find a harmony from the sixties, some of those are great instruments. Uh-huh. Harmony in the eighties. Yeah. Not so great. I mean, they were being sold in the JC Penny catalog, you know? Uh, so <laughs> like a bass in a box. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. it's like one of those little combo deals. You you buy the bass, you get the amp. I still have that amp. It sounds terrible (laughs) in a really great way. Yeah, yeah. I've literally mic'd it on sessions, and it's been (laughs) kind of cool. You know, it's got a single like eight inch speaker. I took the back off of it, not knowing that closed back cabinets had more bass than Uh you know the back is long gone. (laughs) So that kind of gives it a weird mid rangey. You know, it kind of sounds kind of cool. Cool. So I still have it Mm -hmm. covered in stickers. It's terrible, but. Yeah, so that was my first electric bass, and 
got my first real good electric bass for my 17th birthday, also for my parents. And then, you know, kind of slowly over the years transitioned from being primarily a classical orchestral player mm-hmm. while playing electric bass on the side that it's it's flipped the other way you and know? did you did your high school have a jazz band did, did you do that yeah whole thing yeah so by the time by, by high school yeah i was doing uh, uh you know i was the principal bassist in the top orchestra uh i was the bassist in the jazz band uh i played bass for the sh- competition show choir that would travel around the midwest uh, and then eventually, as a senior, actually was in the choir singing and dancing, which is hard for me to believe anymore. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, and then I was playing in community orchestras. Um, you know, they had me sitting principal of the Philharmonic Orchestra of Indianapolis when I was 15. My parents were having to drive me to rehearsals because I couldn't drive myself there yet, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And wow. So it was still like a, it was still a lot of both, a lot of orchestral stuff, yeah. a lot of... Electric bass stuff, which is why then after high school, did you have two teachers for electric and? Mm-mm. No, I I had never. To jump ahead a little bit, I I, well, I started. I didn't start even studying with privately uh, on upright bass, double bass until I was a sophomore in high school. Um, a guy from the Indianapolis Symphony, a guy named Greg Dugan, was mm-hmm. my teacher. He still still plays with the orchestra now. Mm-hmm. Um, he took me on as a student fall of my sophomore year. Yeah, that's right. Because, again, my, my parents had to drive me to the first two lessons, I think, because I wasn't quite 16 yet. And then I got my license and started driving myself to my lessons after mm-hmm. that. So I studied with him for the rest of high school. So basically three years. Um, and then went to Indiana. Got into the School of Music at Indiana. Um, and it was still, all my training there was still all classical. I mean, mm-hmm. they kind of. My How te- old were you at this point? Well, I, when I got to IU, I was, you know, I, 18. You're, okay, so, yeah. oh, I thought you, did you end up going to Berkeley? Though, I did. Okay, yeah. so I'm jumping ahead for you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So right out of high school, I went to Indiana. Okay. Um, as a music education major in choral and instrumental music. Oh, okay. But you still, you know, your my principal instrument was still double bass, and all, mm-hmm. my, all my lessons were with a classical, you know, one of these world-renowned guy named, a guy named Lawrence Hurst. He was the head of the string department at the time at Indiana. He's since retired, uh, but he was a phenomenal bassist. I assume probably still is. Um, and it was just those those lessons were hard. Mm-hmm. It was just difficult. And that, and now looking back now, I understand why. It just wasn't something I was actually into anymore, and I didn't <laughs> either didn't want to admit it to myself yet, or just hadn't figured it out yet. Right. But you know, even even on campus in Bloomington, I was still. I was still that guy who was doing all the orchestra stuff and I was playing in pit orchestras and playing for the operas and all that stuff. But if somebody needed an electric bass player, I was one of the couple guys you called. Mm-hmm. You know, so I did play in pit orchestras and pit bands on mm-hmm. electric bass and um, doing a bunch of stuff like that as well. Um, but no rock or jazz clubs at this point? A little my by my third year there I, I would gotten I'd gotten into the top big band as well, even mm-hmm. as a non jazz major just because you know, finding bass players that could do that at a, at a school that was more known for its classical program. Right. I mean, Indiana's got a great jazz program as well. David Baker was there at the time. He's a big jazz educator. Um, Jamie Abersole would come to Bloomington a lot mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and do clinics and play as well. So I ended up getting into the into the jazz world a little bit there at IU as well, mm-hmm. um, just because I could. 
you know, I auditioned yeah. and got the spot. And then once you're the once you're the bass player in the top big band, then everybody you're the guy everybody calls to play their senior recitals and do this and do that. You know, I was playing the clubs and stuff at that point, mm-hmm. jazz jazz wise. Um, but until that, I'd still have had no training whatsoever on electric bass. Mm-hmm. All electric bass was just me taking what I knew from upright yeah. and just turning it horizontally. Right. And I still played that way. I still played more up and down the neck as opposed to across the neck. So and, were you, did you know how to slap bass at this point or is that something that kind of came just no, as you? No, not really. Yeah. I mean, I've never, never been that interested in, in being, you know, known as a, as a guy who can do that. <laughs> You know, like yeah, yeah. No, it's I something. It. I, it's it's part of my bag now. I can do yeah. what's necessary, or you know, I've I've slapped twice. I think in sessions, <laughs> you know, because I was like, this might be kind of cool. This is not usually where I go, but it's kind of feeling like the song's going there, you know. <laughs> um, so no, at the time, no, I probably, you know, yeah, I knew the concept, but I'd never not worked on it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think after. It was after three years at Indiana. That was when I finally kind of started going, you know what? I think maybe this classical route is not where I'm wanting to go anymore. Mm -hmm. And I left school and actually moved to Nashville for nine months in 97. Fall of 97, I came here and did nothing. I didn't play any gigs. I didn't do, you know, I didn't (laughs) even know how to get started, you know? Yeah. What'd you do then? I just worked at Circuit City in Hickory Hollow. (laughs) There was a Circuit City still existed, and they had one right next to the Hickory Hollow Mall when it still existed. Yeah, and uh, Wait, where was that? Antioch. Oh, okay, it's where the the World Mall is now, okay. I guess, uh, near the Fordyce Center that's over there, and all that. Yeah, right off Bell Road. And where did you live at that time? In Antioch in as Antioch. well. Yeah. Um, because I had I had done a summer gig that whole summer before, like in northern Michigan, in Traverse City, mm-hmm. Michigan. So we played from like Memorial Day to Labor Day in Michigan. Uh, go- beautiful gig. I did it for three summers in a row there. Mm-hmm. Just playing for tourists. At one one year was at a golf resort, and the other two years were at a restaurant, like a theme restaurant kind of downtown mm-hmm. Traverse City, where they had this whole cabaret show. Um, played three shows a night, six nights a week, mm-hmm. all summer. So I did that summer show, moved here. Got did someone tell you to move here? I no. It was just. If I, I was had you been to, to Nashville before? Nope. Yeah. I just I first. I maybe being from Indiana. You know, at least my my concept at the time was to make a living in music. You either go to New York, L.A., or Nashville. Mm-hmm. And New York and L.A. were just completely foreign worlds. I'd been to both at that point, but was just kind of not really interested in either one of those. Mm-hmm. And Nashville was closer to home and. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the players that I really liked, bassists that I was listening mm-hmm. to, were all working down here. What bassists? Were Glenn, they? Glenn Wharf and uh, Michael Rhodes right. and Mike Brignardello. All the, you know, the guys that were super yeah. on everything in the yeah, 90s, yeah. you know, and are still, you know. So you were listening, even though you were playing classical and playing jazz, you were listening to country music. And pop I music just started and... getting into it there by, yeah. by about that time, 97, 98. Okay. Um and so, yeah, I moved here for nine months, got the opportunity to go do that summer gig again in Michigan, and then went and did that again. So that's why I was just here, played that summer gig, was here basically for what would have been like a school year, and then moved, went back to Michigan to play that gig again, mm-hmm. and then just moved back to Indy. Okay. Um, and that's when I started looking at Berkeley. Okay. Um, I decided, okay, maybe I do still want to finish school, but not in the classical thing, you know? Um 
I hadn't known much about Berkeley at that point, but I knew that I could go there and study electric bass. Yeah. Which, like I said, I had never done. Right. All my training had been classical. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that I did jazz or electric bass would, had just been me winging it, you know, <laughs> kind of figuring <laughs> yeah, it yeah, out, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, I, I got into Berkeley uh, just through their regular application, mm-hmm. did an audition for some scholarship, got a little bit of scholarship. It took me like another year or so to kind of get everything lined up. Uh-huh. Uh, so in fall of 2000, I finally moved out to Boston and had my first lesson on electric bass, you know, after having yeah. been playing it for... Were you when you moved back? When you moved back to Indiana, did you um, just pick up gigs around there? Yeah, Yeah. that's why I I started working at Mars Music. Okay, do you remember Mars? I love Mars Music. That that was a great story. Yeah, I got a job at Mars, and I met a couple guys through working at Mars who had this was like the early days of home studio setups. Mm -hmm. A guy had the uh, let's see if I can remember what it was called. It was the Mackie. D8B or something like that. Like mm-hmm. the first Mackie created this all-in-one kind of digital recording yeah, system. That, okay, yeah. So it was a console, right. and a hard disk recorder. Mm-hmm. And so this buddy of mine bought that. You know, he was a single guy who like worked for. They had like eight faders on it, and might have had sixteen. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a it was a large console. Um, and so I started doing some sessions at his house mm-hmm. around Indy, just you know people he knew, and then I started bringing him a little bit of work and. So I was I was recording a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was playing live a little bit here and there, and then just working at the music store. Okay, yeah, cool. Just kind of biding my time, trying to figure out how to actually yeah. go to Berkeley. You know. So how long were you at Berkeley for? Uh, just I started in the fall of two thousand and finished in December of two thousand two. So okay. just over two years, calendar wise. But I took I took classes basically year round mm-hmm. to finish that quickly, and I was. I was able to test out of a good bit of music theory and a mm-hmm. good bit of ear training, and you know, mm-hmm. a lot of my a lot of my gen ed general education stuff transferred from That's Indiana. Good, yeah. So a lot of the a lot of that stuff just transferred. I had to take some art history classes that Berkeley requires everybody to take. Mm-hmm. And I had to take one more literature class, I think. And I ended up taking a U.S. history course as an elective, just because I was in Boston. I thought it'd be a cool place to. <laughs> To to study yeah. U.S. history and it was it was a, yeah. it was a great course but um, yeah I kind of I kind of blazed through Berkeley again actually I actually got a degree from Berkeley which is yeah rare <laughs> right right who did you study with the, at least the joke is that it's rare I studied privately with three different guys at Berkeley uh, your first semester the the head of the base department just kind of sticks you with somebody based on you know what you've written on your application or mm-hmm. what they know about you background wise and because mm-hmm. I came from the upright base world. Uh, he assigned me to a guy named Paul Del Nero, okay. who's an upright kind of jazzer guy who's mm-hmm. fantastic. He also taught uh, a class there called uh, performance ear training. Mm-hmm. There are every instrument has their own version of performance ear training. So mm-hmm. if you're on the performance track for your degree, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to regular ear training that everybody takes, you take an ear training specific to your instrument. Mm-hmm. And Paul also taught that, and uh, that was really great. I really loved that um, that ear training specific to our instrument. It was yeah. all about finding roots. You know, what's the root of this super dense six part chord? Uh-huh. You know, which as a bass player, it's kind of important to be able to tell what the yeah, root yeah. is. You know, for sure. And then just identifying tensions, and then we kind of worked on doing some improv uh-huh. improvisation over certain changes. You know, more linearly the way bass players might play. Anyway, mm-hmm. so it was with Paul, Paul Del Nero for my first semester. 
Um, and then I was with, um, uh, Anthony Vitti. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It took me a second to remember <laughs> that. Then I was with, uh, Anthony Vitti, uh, who was kind of known as like a finger funk slap guy. Uh-huh. And so I, I, I picked him specifically for that because okay. I did want a little bit of, I wanted to have some idea what I was doing with like, you know, yeah. banging my thumb against the bass, you know? Mm-hmm. So we did work, we worked a little bit on slap stuff, but he, he was real big, man. He, he was transcribing note for note, tower of power bass lines mm-hmm. and you know, just really working on time in that pocket, even right. being, while being noty, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was with him for a couple semesters. And then uh, I got with a guy named uh, Danny Morris. They call him just Danny Mo, and he's got a whole online presence these days and teaches some Berkeley online stuff okay. and has a couple books out. And he was he he was really great. I love Danny Mo for kind of the hang as yeah, much yeah. as the bass playing. Right. You know, uh, we would go entire lessons where uh, we barely played bass. Yeah. And and that was you know I never felt cheated by that. That was great. It was because mm-hmm. we were talking about music. I was telling him about something new I had just heard, and he was telling me about something new he had just heard. Yeah. He was exposing me to to stuff that he's known for years mm-hmm. that I wasn't hip to yet. You know, um, uh, my my classical guitar teacher in college. It was we we had a relationship like that where mm-hmm. our we would there would be lessons where we'd talk for like three hours straight and yeah. we wouldn't even pick up the guitar but it would be like it was like an important thing it was like yeah. discussing the ideas of music and totally and like getting more of that that's actually kind of those those types of lessons are are part of why i want to i do this podcast and stuff to like yeah. have those types of conversations right that's... like you're not you're not jamming you're not playing but you're actually talking mm-hmm. ideas and stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I have one private student that I teach right now who comes to my place uh, every week, and I've I've told him this this same story. I was like, you know, sometimes if we don't end up playing for half a lesson, you know, don't freak out. I still <laughs> I still think it's just as valuable. Yeah, it is. You know, as as me teaching you some lick out of some song right. or whatever. You know, yeah. so yeah, I, I I really valued that from Danny. So that was great. So those are I guess those are, those are the three guys I was with privately one-on-one at berkeley mm-hmm. they were all great in their own ways you know that was kind of that's what i loved about berkeley too was that you know the base department there are i mean i couldn't tell you the number of teachers but the my impression was that there were 20 something base teachers mm-hmm. and so you could find somebody that was right you know kind of your bag just about anywhere you know so it was mm-hmm. those three guys were all really great for me because they were they were kind of going right down you know, one guy was where I was coming from. One guy was where I was trying to go. And right. One guy was where I have ended up. Nice. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So then you were like, "I'm going to give Nashville another shot." Yeah my my thought was always to come back to Nashville. Okay. Um, I think I thought briefly about L.A. just because I knew a bunch, especially once I was at Berkeley, a bunch of people moving to L.A. from right. from Boston. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of guys going to New York still, but New York still felt more like a jazz scene. Right. Um, which even though my degree is in jazz okay. based performance, I mean, you know, yeah. you go to Berkeley, your degree's in jazz. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> that just is what it is. New York's um, hard, hard yeah. to make a go of it. Yeah. You were there for a while, right? Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. And that was kind of the thing. I just didn't really, I know there's tons of stuff in New York. New York is New York. Yeah. yeah. There's everything happening there, mm-hmm. but musically, at least from as my outside perspective, that was kind of the thing. That's where all the jazzers were going at least, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I didn't really have much interest in that. I, I love jazz from a theory standpoint 
you know, and all the academic stuff that it taught me. But even in Nashville, I, I play maybe two jazz gigs a year, mm-hmm. just enough to keep me rusty all the time. <laughs> you know, so I'm like I never, know. I'm never comfortable. Like, uh, <laughs> I used to know this stuff. I yeah, used yeah. to feel better when I was playing this, but um, <laughs> I uh, uh, went to Skulls the other night. Have you ever been out I've there? I've never been in there. They have a they have a really good jazz band. Yeah, that, that play nightly there. Yeah, yeah. Skulls Maybe. and Rudy's right. Those are like the two rooms. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've not I've not been to either one yeah. actually. Um, so did, so how did you make, like, so you went to Nashville earlier, didn't really have any connections, right? worked at Circuit City, and then you come <laughs> back now, are you going out every night and just trying to meet people, or? When I first moved to town, yeah, yeah. you know, that was, that's, I mean, as much, as much as it was about music theory and ear training and, you know, chops at Berkeley, I also learned a lot about, you know, how to actually try to make it yeah, in yeah. the business. You know, okay. when I moved here in 97, I just, I didn't have a clue. I was just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of yeah. my roommates was playing and I would go out with him and sit in every once in a while. But yeah. Otherwise I didn't do anything that whole year I was here. Mm-hmm. And so leaving Berkeley and moving here, I knew, okay, I have to do, yeah, I, I knew at that point, okay, I have to go out. I have to meet people. Um, I took advantage of the the Berkeley Alumni Association here in town was pretty active. Oh, cool! Um, at the time, yeah. uh, they still are now. You know, they still have regular. There's a holiday party I go to every year, and another <laughs> thing in the spring. Nice. Um, I try to get to when I can. You know, just to reconnect with with people you don't see very often or whatever. But that first year, first couple of years I was here in town, the Alumni Association was there. They were doing weekly weekly hangs. You know, every th- I think it was Thursdays. Maybe it was Tuesdays. It was Tuesdays or Thursdays at the Tin Roof on Demumbrian, which at the time was brand new. Mm-hmm. It, I think it just opened in 02 or 03, and this was 03, 04. Mm-hmm. So the Tin Roof was brand new, so we were going there once a week. They were giving us – the Tin Roof was giving the Berkeley alumni group, like, half-price appetizers okay. and pitchers of beer or something, or right, you know, yeah. just kind of helping us out as well. And so I was going there and meeting people, and I ended up getting my first, you know, few gigs around town. That's awesome. You know, that's, through through so, the alum, so yeah. that was really valuable. You know, but that's that so important is to have some sort of community, yeah, where you can feel there is support. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and then from there, you know, as you start meeting more and more people within that circle and without, you know, outside that circle, um, you know, then your community is kind of you've you've built your community yourself, and mm-hmm. you're not necessarily as reliant on yeah the group that got you started. But yeah, it's a so, head start. In a yeah, way. it's yeah. a great. I mean, it was really great. I, I don't know. I don't know how I would have gotten those first couple gigs, those first couple years without right. the alumni group. Honestly, you know that everything I think everything I did for like the first two years was some connection I'd made there, you mm-hmm. know, nice or a friend of a friend from there or whatever, you yeah. know. So yeah, and it was it was really great. And I started working, um, held out as long as I could, and then eventually had to get the day job, you know. Okay. And I worked at the Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh, okay. And museum downtown for five years. And that was really great too, because a lot of my fellow employees were just like me. We were all musicians who just needed to, yeah. you know, be able to pay rent. No, that's so funny because I, I was just there yesterday. Oh yeah, uh, and did the studio RCA Studio B tour. Oh yeah, I used to. I was one of the first group that started giving those tours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the yeah. and the tour guide, um, musician, you know, just oh, yeah. trying to, yeah, trying to make it happen. I would imagine most of the employees there still are. Yeah, because it was. Because it was a it was a super flexible job. I mean, they were really great with me. 
uh, when I got hired, I told them I had a bunch of dates lined up in the summer already, and they just said, all right, just let us know when you can work and when you can't. That's awesome. And we'll schedule you. Cool. So it works that way for like five years. I basically made a calendar and said, here uh-huh. are the days I can Okay, do. so you worked there for five years? Five years, wow. yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. Because it was so flexible. Yeah. I mean, it was you know, it was hard to give that up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a leap of faith to to give up the day job altogether and so <laughs> hope that are you, work So in. you're doing mostly road gigs, but not really in-town, downtown stuff? Or kind of a mix? Kind of a mix. Yeah. Yeah, those first couple of years, I... Uh, uh, one of my uh, a, a, a friend who I met at the Hall of Fame, this girl named Stephanie Lane, and she uh, right about the time she started working there, she landed a you know like the the six to ten slot in the back room at Tootsie's. Mm-hmm. So I played with her at Tootsie's for two years, you know, once a week or something, and you know, which was great for just learning songs. Yeah, that, was yeah. my, that was my first like, hey, we're gonna play for three and a half hours straight. You know, do you know enough material? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not I mean, at first, I didn't, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, so for me, coming and, and just learning songs, like, I can I can honestly say I know well over a thousand songs by by memory, yeah. I think, at this point. You, I'm sure you're even more than that. No idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless I, I could be wrong, but I really do think it's it's definitely in the quadruple digits. Yeah. Um, Quite possibly. I have no idea. Don't even want to start trying to count. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine making like a list. Oh my gosh. The, you're like, I can't believe I know this song, but I do. But I do. There's Margaritaville yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. And I guess knowing could also be put in air quotes, you know. I know that song. Yeah. I've um, heard it enough times that I can probably yeah. make my way through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so then I guess it's just a matter of just hustling bass for in Nashville, like yeah. everybody else, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, after after five years at the Hall, uh, it, was, it got me up to two thousand nine, which was when I got uh, hired to play in Natalie Stovall's band, who I had known at Berkeley as well. Mm-hmm. It was another, it was another Berkeley connection actually. Right. Okay, and even though she had been she had been in, back in town, she's from Columbia, you know, just south of Nashville. Here, grew up here, was in like an Opryland kids show when she was eight. Mm-hmm. You know, went to Berkeley, moved back, and uh, had been touring the country ever since. And so, mm-hmm. like 2009, I think she'd been back for five years or so, and just needed a new bass player and and called me up. And so, that was enough work that I finally officially quit the job of the hall. You know, mm-hmm. instead of just being like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a little while, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. let's let's call this the end. I'm going to officially quit. Yeah. And played all of most of 2009 with Natalie, and then uh, 2010 came, and my band Calico Trail was starting to get some traction. So uh, Natalie hired a different bass player so I could stay in town and and concentrate on my own band that was had signed a, a development deal at oh, the time okay. with who? Uh, Lyric Street. Okay. I don't know if you remember Disney's label. That was Disney's country okay. label. Okay. Uh, and we we joked that we we killed Lyric Street because. <laughs> They signed us to a development deal. We cut three singles for them. Uh, and then the last thing we were going to do was do a big showcase for the whole label. And then they were either going to sign us or let us go. That was uh-huh. literally in the contract we signed. So we do the big showcase. And the contract also stated, you do your showcase. Then we have 30 days to tell you whether or not uh-huh. we're signing you or not. Uh-huh. So we do the showcase. 25 days come and go. 30 days comes and goes. 
and our, they didn't tell our you. manager our manager's calling them calling them and they're like i don't know what's going on we told la because because they were disney all their contracts came from la uh-huh. they kept they kept telling us at least they said hey we told la that we want to sign you that they need to draw they need to draw up a contract yeah and they just haven't done it yet okay and about day 35 or 36 disney has a press release saying they were shutting down lyric street Records. oh what the hell so we were like oh well <laughs> i guess that's why we never heard from them uh ain't so, the business great yeah so we kind of just finished a record on our own and put it out ourselves that year and had some interest from other labels, but we were a seven-piece band. It was kind of very Eagles, Dirty, oh, dirty okay. Dirt Band, West Coast, right. country, kind of lots of big vocal harmonies and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Nice. So and lots you, of people were sang, interested. You sang too? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of people were interested, but I think everybody was scared to sign a band. You know, it's Nashville, yeah. and bands don't. Nashville's band. where bands go to die, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's yeah. there's more of it now than there used to be, but yeah, no. Nashville seems to uh, instead of being like just a country town where you you go as like a solo artist and then you get a big deal or something, you can actually there's actually an indie rock, punk rock, yeah, DIY scene, yeah, out for here. sure, yeah. So maybe who knows? Maybe we would do better now than we did back then, but you know. Um, so anyway, mm-hmm. so that was 2010. I just stayed in town and. You know, that, that year was lean, you mm-hmm. know, my first yeah. year without a day job and without a solid road gig Yeah, was scary Shit's sometimes. Hard, dude. Winters yeah. are tough out here. Oh, man. And it's yeah. every year you're like, okay, like if you're making, you feel like you're rich in the summer. Yeah. You know, like, oh, Buying cool. gear. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. I need this piece of gear and I'm going to have it because I plant, you know, July is going to be good. Mm-hmm. July is great. August is great. Even September is great. And then. January rolls around, and you're like, oh, my God, why did I buy all that gear? Yeah, I guess I need to sell that so I can pay my rent now. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> you just try so, to stay above water pretty much in yeah, the winters. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And it just, you know, it's just been building from there. So I've not, you know, I've not had a day job since 2009, and it's mm-hmm. just been going and going. Put your trust in your, in your music, and you know, yeah. you're getting... You're in the studio all the time. I mean, was that even a goal for you when you moved here? Did yeah. you want to, like... I'm going to do the road for this amount of time and then I'm just going to like gracefully transition into a session. Well, it's not, it's hard, you know, it's hard to say. Did, like, did never, you, did you a, envision that for yourself or did you? Well, uh, sessions are what I always wanted to do. Yeah. It was never a, I'm going to do the road for this, you know, set right. amount of time right. or whatever. It just kind of, just kind of happens. And my, and my path has been a lot different than other people's as well. Mm-hmm. I, I've never really had the big name tour in the country artist gig. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a, I had a half dozen or so dates with Danielle Bradbury one summer, kind of as a long term fill in. Right. They offered me the gig full time, but again, it was like I, I had just starting to do more stuff in town and didn't really want to put that on hold. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've been with uh, Mark Schultz, who's a Christian artist. I think that's when I met you. You were playing yeah, with him, yeah. Yeah, and I guess I technically still do. He just we didn't play it all in 2018. He does just a lot of solo piano shows now, mm-hmm. so he's still working a ton. Mm-hmm. It's just he's just going out by himself. Um, and I'm on a, I'm on a live record that he put out last year that we did the year before that. We recorded the year before that. So, you know, I I have a f- a few things here and there that were kind of keeping me going. You know, a bunch of small road gigs here and there um but like i said i've never done a big tour i've mm-hmm. never 
business. No, no buses. Well, yeah, I mean, but like Schultz was always with on buses. Okay, and, you know, so I've I've done I've been on plenty of bus gigs, mm-hmm. but they were all one offs or right. you know, but just never like the hey, we're going out for six weeks yeah. straight or anything like that. I think yeah. the longest I've ever been gone was like two weeks. Okay. Um, and so my, yeah, so my path has just been a little different. You know, mm-hmm. some guys, that's kind of how they do it, right? You end up, you play for a big name artist and people get to know you because you're Some such and such as bass player yeah. or you're such and such as drummer. Mm-hmm. And you kind of parlay that into, right. into maybe getting into some session work or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I've, I don't know. I've just never, yeah, that's just not the road I've gone down for some, for whatever reason, not, not any particular reason on my point, on my, from my standpoint, rather, I've never avoided the big name artist gig. I've never. Yeah. You know, it's just been how it is, you know, whatever my, I guess. Well, yeah, I just think your talent speaks for itself. So when people like to see that you're pretty much in the studio full time now, like that makes so much sense to me. Like the first gig that you and I did together, um, I was like, oh man, this is like the bass player that I want to play with. (laughs) Um, And it's cool because you and I were like kind of sitting on top of each other on all those gigs. So So I really heard what you were playing. Um, I appreciate that. And it's, and it's to use you. And then um, I guess Ross is on drums. And yeah. yeah. um, So like, as that is a rhythm section, that was was a fun killer. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I remember like if I'm going to do a session, I'm going to call Tim and that's what I did when I was doing those sessions on Music Row. Yeah. Um, which yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you the story about. Did I ever tell you about what ended up? I think I did one time about what ended up happening to all those briefly sessions. Yeah. Just like yeah. just the total shit show and the yeah. the producer. He just he skipped town with yeah. everything, and then he actually stole some some money from me, and then Ooh. I uh, and then he ended up paying me back. Oh well, that's good. Yeah. At least. But it took him years, yeah. and he felt really bad about it. So. Well, what's funny is that the the guy who I gave you for the orchestration thing, his mm-hmm. studio is in that same building. You have to walk. Oh yeah, past, yeah I remember. Yeah, you have yeah, to walk yeah. past yeah. Jeff Cook's door to yeah, go yeah. upstairs where we yeah. where we were with. I can't remember that guy's name now, but Kevin. Kevin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, well, oh, cool. So, why don't you um, tell my listeners where they can find you online, how how they can hear you, and, and what you're up to these days. Well, I do own timdenbo.com. There's not a whole lot there. I need to update that website, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, so there's that website, but I, having a unique last name, I guess, Tim Denbo is my handle just about everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, find me on as Tim Denbo, just about everywhere. Um, as far as hearing me goes, again, I should be better about updating my website <laughs> and posting things, but... Um, you can find me on, as I was mentioning, the law of this Texas country. Um, there's a band called Shotgun Rider out of Texas, and I've been on, I think, every release they've got out, like three or four EPs, and their newest thing is a full-length album. Um, really looking forward to more stuff coming out from a girl named Kylie Ray Harris, mm-hmm. another Texas artist who actually spent some time here. So there's a lot of people here in Nashville that are familiar with her and have written with her, and mm-hmm. she's really, really great. And the stuff we've been cutting for her over the last couple months has been awesome. She has a couple singles out already. Um, who else? The single that came out today, like as I mentioned, was uh, an artist named Saint, and it's S A Y N T. Little hmm. pop, Latin pop ditty that came out today. Okay. Um, yeah, there's 
you know, there's more and more recordings coming out all the time, which is nice. Uh, the McHale, McHale Buck Band. McHale Buck was on The Voice just this past fall. Mm-hmm. I played on his newest EP. Um, yeah, so there's more and more stuff coming out all the time. Nice. Uh, I can I can try to uh, update my website soon and <laughs> post some of those names and those links yeah. as well. Uh, but yeah, there's it's been good. It's been nice to hear new music coming out that that I've that I've had a chance to work on and. You know, hope that just keeps going at this Snowballs, point. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Thanks again for listening. I know it's been a while since I uh, released my last episode of Musician. The truth is, uh, summer has come around and things have been really busy uh, with regard to uh, my live performances and um, the, what I'm doing in the studio here. So my apologies to anybody who's been uh, waiting to hear another one. If you really, really want to hear some more episodes, uh, please write me an email or shoot me a message on Instagram at Andrew LePau. Uh, I really do want to hear your feedback. Uh, and if you want to uh, recommend this podcast to anyone you know, please do that. That goes a long way for me. Uh, so until next time, I'll see you.